In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In this first day of our mini parish mission that we're uh, having in response to so many of our cancellations and events, um, I want to read through and meditate with you uh, for a bit on a book that I found um, incredibly encouraging and incredibly insightful. Uh, I read it when I was in the seminary, but on a number of occasions I've gone back and read little little clips and passages again. It's a book by uh, a Jesuit priest, Father Walter Siszczek, called He Leadeth Me. It comes in, I think, in around 230 pages, uh, but an incredibly, incredibly profound book um, in its message. And I want to, to reflect in, on this book on a, in a talk titled The Mass, the Priesthood, and You. And so I want to go through and, and, and kind of read a few quotes from Father Siszczek and to reflect upon how that is, what, what that means for us, what that means uh, for you uh, who are listening to this talk, um, and ways that we can continue to, to embrace our blessed Lord uh, in this time. This said, Father uh, Siszczek uh, has an incredible story, and I think a, a wonderful opportunity for us to, to reflect upon some of it during this, uh, during this Passion Tide, this Holy Week um, that we've entered into today. Father Siszczek was, uh, he said, a Jesuit priest who, in the midst of the Second World War, was captured by the Russian army and was convicted of being a Vatican spy. What followed is solitary confinement and then being sent to a Siberian labor camp. Um, a total estimation of his, uh, of his imprisonment was 23 years. So 23 years he was in, in prisons and in labor camps um, accused of being a, a Vatican spy, which was indeed false. But it was a pretense under which they arrested him and, and kept him in his labors. And it's, uh, I guess, a, a fascinating a little, a little mini-resurrection is Father Siszczek was gone for so long that he was actually included on a list of people who officially were dead. Uh, so when he, when he was ultimately freed from his imprisonment, he came back to a world that had, had presumed that he had been dead for years. Uh, and so a, a sort of resurrection taking place uh, in Father Siszczek uh, in his life, uh, certainly during his imprisonment, has you know coming to life in a in a new way and experiencing uh, God's grace in profound ways over those twenty three years, but also resurrection in, in in a certain sense in his own life of of being able to uh, to be brought back uh, into his ministry, back into uh, the priestly service of God in the manner in which he had begun to serve uh, initially. And so just to, to go through and, and to read a few, a few selections of his writings as an opportunity to, to dig a little bit deeper into uh, this reality of the Mass, the priesthood, and you. So it begins in, in, this, uh, in this easy time, you know, a beginning when everything seems to be going relatively well um, and then transitions into the difficulties of his imprisonment and all that follows. He begins and he says how easy it is in times of ease for us to become dependent on our routines 
on the established order of our day-to-day existence to carry us along, we begin to take things for granted. We rely on ourselves and on our own resources to, quote, settle in in this world and to look for it for support. Then it is, perhaps, that we must allow our whole world to be turned upside down in order to remind us it is not our permanent abode or final destiny, to bring us to our senses and restore our sense of values, to turn our thoughts once more towards him, even if at first our thoughts are full of questioning and reproaches. So the Father Sischek, he begins recognizing how easy it is for us to be Um, caught up in the comforts of our daily routines, our normal day-to-day life, and to forget the fact of what St. Paul would describe us as being uh, strangers and sojourners, that we are people whose final destination is not here on earth, but rather we are citizens of heaven. We are supposed to be longing for heavenly glory. And the the simple fact is that sometimes as, as human persons, the only life we've experienced is this life. The only place we've ever experienced is this place. And so it's easy for us, it's, it's normal for us, uh, and kind of sensible for us to get attached to this place. It's the only thing we've ever known. Um, and yet the Lord God desires uh, to bring us to heavenly glory, which is the fullness of joy, uh, the fullness of, of, of life to which we have been, for which we've been created. And so the Lord desires that for us. But sometimes that, that pulling us into heavenly glory means that we have to experience some shake-up and trial and difficulty in this life. And that's what so many of, of our difficulties, our crosses, our sorrows, the things that we experience in this world, they're opportunities that the Lord gives to us and provides to us to be able to prepare our hearts, to be able to, to recognize that, that, that this world isn't it, that there's something more that we've been created for, and, and to, to allow our hearts to long for that place ultimately to long for heaven. And so we can see in in so many ways that that in any suffering we endure, this is what the Lord is calling us to, to remember that that we are citizens of heaven, and there we await, awaiting the Savior to come to us, to bring us uh, into that place, into that place of, of eternal joy and eternal peace. But here, in this life, we experience um, the valley of tears, Sometimes whenever we're uh, in the midst of our daily life, and when we're, especially when things are getting turned upside down on their head and when everything seems to be questioning and confusion and our routines are thrown off, our work is thrown off, our life is thrown off, and all of these, all these things in which we have become comfortable now become uncomfortable, the immediate response of many, many hearts is understandably, and Father Sistrak brings this up in, as well as in his own heart, the question of why. In so many ways, we can question why. We'll question the Lord. We can rebuke the Lord, have anger towards the Lord. So many things can arise in our heart. But ultimately, what must come for us as a people of faith in place of those questions of why is an attitude of profound trust. It's an attitude of seeking after the Lord's will and being able to do it. What is the Lord's will? How do I do it? Father Sischek, he says that the, the will of the Lord is right before our eyes. He says the plain and simple truth is that his will is what he actually wills to send us each day in the way of circumstances, places, people, and problems. 
The trick is to learn that, not just in theory, or not just occasionally in a flash of insight granted by God's grace, but every day. God's will is every day, right before us, and the things set before our eyes. He goes on further to mention God's will is not hidden somewhere out there in the situations in which I find myself. The situations themselves were his will for me. What he wanted was for me to accept these situations as from his hands, to let go of the reins and place myself entirely at his disposal. It's easy for us to be able to look out and to presume that that God's help, that God's will is somewhere other than the place that we are. But what he's simply saying is acknowledging the fact that, that the Lord's will is the situation we are in. It's to recognize that in those difficult moments, it is to do and to embrace whatever is, is being permitted to happen to us or within us or around us, um, to embrace those things, not just to accept them in a kind of begrudging fashion as if, you know, uh, I'll pick up the cross and carry it if, if I have to. You know, we can, we can very easily, I know for myself, very, um, very easily can pick up my cross but kind of be begrudgingly about it, um, kind of lamenting the, the weight of the burden um, and, and desiring that comfort again. But it's, it's for us to embrace each day as the will of the Lord, even the most difficult of things and even the most mundane of things. Speaking in specifically in his time while he was in, in solitary confinement, he says, I had to learn to find him, to find God, in the midst of trials, as well as nerve-wracking silences, to discover him and find his will behind all these happenings, to see his hand in all the past experiences of my life, to praise and thank him and ask his blessing on all those faces that crowded to memory, when there was no face to be seen each day except those of my guards, to ask his pardon for my many failures then and now in interrogations, to promise pardon and to seek to forgive those I sometimes felt were persecuting me, and to ask at each moment his constant fatherly protection against the evils that seemed to surround me on all sides. Lord, teach us to pray, the disciples asked. He said to them, this is how you should pray, our Father, dot, dot, dot. So it's this recognition that, that even in the, in the most difficult of moments, even on the greatest of crosses and trials, our blessed Lord is, is inviting us to recognize that even these things, absurd as it may seem, these things are allowed by the Lord. It doesn't mean that, you know, when, when we speak of God's will, it doesn't mean that God is doing these things actively, but sometimes he does permit them. It's not as if God is a vindictive judge who's up there waiting to strike us down, waiting to send some scourge or some suffering our way. But he does allow them to be to bring forth from us holiness, to bring forth from us trust in him, and especially an understanding and embracing of doing his will. And sometimes that's not very glorious. I've often meditated on the fact that... that uh, that I kind of envy the the martyrs of the church, the red martyrs of the church, who who they go and they you know they they offer their lives, saying you know they're they're killed for our Lord, in, in you know oftentimes very very painful and very bloody ways. But I envy them because in a sense they have one chance, well, they have one choice, and they say yes, they endure it, hopefully gracefully, 
and they go to their reward in heaven. But for those who don't have uh, that 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 one that one time martyrdom, it's is the daily martyrdom of our own lives. Is to be able to allow ourselves and our will to be able to die, um, so that Christ's life might be raised up in us. That that the will of God might be done and fulfilled in us. And that's more difficult. It's easy, it's easy sometimes to be asked to do large things, but sometimes when we're asked to do small things, we can become rather troubled by it. Um, Father Sistrak, he points this out too, the, the difficulty of, of the ordinary things. Um, he says, for each of us, salvation means no more and no less than taking up daily the same cross of Christ, accepting each day what it brings as the will of God offering back to God each morning all the joys, works, and sufferings of that day. But those are abstract words. What it means in practice is spelled out as always by the poor old body. It means getting up each morning and going to bed exhausted. It means the routine, not the spectacular. It can mean drudgery, pain, putting aside all pleasures, happiness, or the love of human heart craves until another time so that what is necessary at the moment can be done. It means working for others, touching the lives of others through the medium of the body. How many times, tired and worn out in your collapse from the slave labor conditions of the camp, did I think I could not ask another step of the body? Did I think in pain and irony of those words, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak? Truly man is a creature composed of the body and soul, and we work out our salvation in this valley of tears through the medium of the flesh. That is the first gift of God and our parents fashioned for us. It sustains and supports us through a long life and makes possible joys and sorrows. And when we are at last departed from it in death, it surely deserves whatever rest it can get before it rises to be glorified at the last judgment. And so Father Shishchek, you know, very clearly in an almost an almost humorous manner um, recognizes the that many of our of our trials are trials of the flesh um, of the body uh, that we that we don't don't get enough sleep that we're too tired for this that we're too worn out for that that we don't have this we don't have that and yet to be able to persist in all of these things is to be able to do the will of the Lord the things that are entrusted to us, that are placed before us, weary though we may be, if we say yes, the life of the Lord will make those endeavors, that make those actions fruitful. And our lives are meant to bear much fruit. And this is what the Lord desires of. He desires the, the fruits of our life to be given to him. And the place where that happens is at the Mass. There's an entire book, uh, a chapter of this book, on the meaning of the Mass. And I think especially that, that many hearts are recognizing these words and the sting of these words um, and the pain and sorrow of exactly what Father is saying here. Um, he says, he begins the chapter, Sometimes I think that those who have never been deprived of an opportunity to say or hear Mass do not really appreciate what a treasure the Mass is. I know in recent days and, and weeks, being able to, to see so many uh, parishioners and friends um, who, uh, 
are expressing an intense desire um, to go to Mass, um, to go and to, to be at the Mass, uh, to see the mystery, not through a TV screen, not through, uh, not through the thing in your hands or on your, on your, uh, you know, attached to the wall, but to, to see there, um, with your own eyes, the great mystery of the offering of Holy Mass and to be able to be united in that same offering and, and the reception of Holy Communion. Many hearts, uh, I've seen, and, and, and I can see also the, uh, very frequently the, um, the tears welling up in the eyes of this, of this desire um, this this daily suffering that's happening right now um, at being separated from our blessed Lord. But it doesn't mean that one's life is not um, connected to the Mass, is not being nourished by the Mass. You may not be physically present at the celebration of the liturgy, but in a most profound way, you most certainly are spiritually the last thing I want to quote from Father Sischek um, is in a passage on the priesthood. And it says, And the things that are of God are all the joys and works and sorrows and sufferings of each day. However burdensome and boring, routine and insignificant they may seem, it is the priest's function to offer these things back to God for his fellow men and to serve as an example, a witness, a martyr, a testimony before the men around him of God's providence and purpose. It is the priest's function to offer these things back to God for his fellow men. These words especially struck me as, as this, is the, this is the reality um, that we're being invited, all of us, to enter into in this time. The simple fact is that that um, that masses are still being offered all throughout the world. That this is this is um, it's not as if the mass has ended. It's not as if there's no mass. It's not as if uh, that the, the sacraments are just on pause until further notice entirely. That uh, I know for myself, I still offer mass every single day. Uh, I've been offering mass every day specifically mindful of uh, of our community. And I know countless priests are doing the same, offering Holy Mass day after day after day. And sometimes people can, can wonder, why, why is Mass being offered if there's no one there? You know, when, so often we, we see Mass. Just, mass only happens you know, when, when the community is gathered together with the priest. But the simple fact is that the Mass, first and foremost, is not... Um, is not just the community coming together. First and foremost, it is the offering of Jesus to the Father. Every single Mass is uh, a making present once more that great mystery that happened 2,000 years ago and that we'll celebrate once again in a special way this Friday, Good Friday. That moment in which our blessed Lord united himself to humanity and took all of us on the cross, united himself to us in, in our brokenness, in our need, and died in our place, offered himself on our behalf. The blood and water that poured forth from his side, a great symbol as the many of the doctors of the church, saints of the church, have spoken a, a sign of the, of the sacraments pouring forth from the side of Jesus, giving life to the body of Christ. 
And then our blessed Lord raised up, ascending into heaven, sending the Holy Spirit to us. This is the great mystery that's happening in every single Mass, whether it's the priest totally by himself, or whether it's the Holy Father with a million people around him at Mass. The same mystery is at work, the offering of Jesus to the Father. In every single Mass, the priest makes present once more Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And he turns to the Father, and, and he elevates the host and the, the, you know, if, if the community is there, the community adores. If it's just the priest, the priest adores. But whoever is there adores the Lord in the Eucharist. And at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, the priest holds up the chalice and the host again to present them to the Father. To present them to the Father in the Holy Spirit through Christ, Christ the High Priest. We present this, this, great, this great sacrifice as a way of, of offering to God the Father, as if to say, Father, we have nothing of our own that can save us. We have only the gift that you have given us, the gift of your Son, and this is whom we offer. We offer you the gift of your Son that you might be able to have mercy on us and pour your grace out upon us because, Lord, we need you. We need you. The Father has given us his Son, has given us the, the means by which we can be brought back into the heart of the Father, to be united to the Son, to, to attach ourselves to Jesus, to be made members of the body of Christ by our baptism, and to continue to stay close to him in our life of prayer, our life of, of faith. To stay close to Jesus to, is to be brought deeply into the heart of the Father, and this is what happens in every single Mass, whether there are people there or not. In every Mass, the people of God are brought into the heart of the Lord. They're brought before the Lord in His presence, and grace pours forth upon the community. Grace pours out upon the community. So this is happening every single day in our church, every single day in, in, in many churches all around us, all throughout the world. At every single moment, guaranteed, a priest somewhere in the world is offering Mass. At every moment, the Mass is taking place somewhere in the world, pouring forth God's grace upon us, all of us. A constant flood of God's mercy coming into the world. In a particular way, parish pastors are obligated to ensure that this happens for their particular community every single Sunday, no matter what. If you ever are looking in the, in the bulletin, you're looking at the, the Mass intentions for each week, oftentimes we'll have, we'll have something where, where the Sunday Mass will be for the parishioners or for the people of the parish or something to that effect, you know, for the people, you know. Um, and what this is, this is actually part of, part of canon law, part of church law, that, that pastors are obligated to offer a mass pro populo, in Latin means for the people, every single Sunday. So if, if I'm not here, I have to make sure that the priest who is here offers mass for that intention. 
You know, so one of the masses that we offer every single Sunday, one of those masses is for the people. And when we say that, it's not just it's not just kind of like a um, you know kind of a vague thing. For me, as 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 the pastor of Saint Anne and of Saint Vincent, our parish boundaries are are geographically drawn from the Mississippi to the Jafalaya, um, and then down we kind of we go through the Bar area and over to over to Fort Oche. Um, and everything north in Point Capi. And, and so when, when Mass is offered pro populo, when, when Mass is offered at St. Anne or at St. Vincent for the people, it's for every single person who lives and abides in our parish geographically, Catholic or not. Asking the, the priest is obligated to pray for his community, Catholic or not. Because every single person who lives in our parish is entrusted to my soul in some mysterious way. And this is why I beg the mercy of God continuously, because I don't always do a great job ministering. Every single person is brought to the altar of the Lord. So every, every single one of you, if you're my parishioner listening to this, are brought to the Lord on our altar every single Sunday in a particular way that that Mass is offered for God's blessing upon you specifically. But in the same way, every single Mass brings the entire body of Christ to present them to the Lord. Also, in the, the, priest of the, intention, the intention of the priest is an important thing too. Those who, who have ever um, been in the vesting, the vesting room or the sacristy uh, at our church or chapel, uh, where I normally am, you know, getting vested for mass, there are a, a variety of little little framed prayers that are there. Some of the vesting prayers, the prayers that priests pray, as they're putting on the different articles of clothing, the vestments. But there's one that's the priest intention um, before mass to pray before mass, and this is one that I that I pray frequently. The prayer is, my intention is to celebrate Mass and to consecrate the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the rite of Holy Roman Church, to the praise of Almighty God and all the Church triumphant, for my good and all the Church militant, for all who have commended themselves to my prayers in general and in particular, and for the welfare of Holy Roman Church. Amen. May the Almighty and merciful Lord grant us joy with peace, amendment to life, room for true repentance the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit, and perseverance in good works. Amen. So every single Mass, you know, any of you who send me a text message or who call me or send me an email or, or you know, see me in person and say, Father, can you pray for insert intention? This is what's happening. That, those, that, that all of those are, are being placed on my heart to be able to go bring them to Mass. As the prayer says, for all who have committed themselves to my prayers in general and in particular, to bring you to Holy Mass. In my, in my mind, I imagine my heart has a little shelf where I just keep stocking up little, little prayer requests. You know, that these are the people who have entrusted their prayers to me in a particular way. And here's the ones who have, you know, who have asked my prayers in a general way, committed themselves to my prayers and generally speaking. Um... And then at Holy Mass, it, it's, it's part of my, my privilege, really, to bring that, all of that, to the Lord, to give this to the Lord. And it happens in two places. 
Uh, first is the collect. So at the beginning of Mass, the priest says, let us pray. Right? And that's the opportunity that the, the ritual actually indicates that there should be a, a brief pause, an opportunity for you to also offer up your own intentions. And I've, I've tried to mention this a whole variety, uh, a variety of ways in different, different times and places, and, and certainly in the homily as well, is that the, the Mass is not just the offering of bread and wine. It's not just the kind of Father doing his thing up there. The Mass is supposed to be you offering yourself in your own life to our Lord as well. And we've, I know I specifically talked about it um, in the offertory of bringing the bread and um, the bread and the wine and the collection forward. You know that the, the you know the, the the money is not supposed to just be money. It's supposed to be representing yourself, you, your generosity, your gift to the church, but also your offerings, your sufferings, um, your joys, your sorrows, your your exhaustion, your elation, your laughter, your tears. Your mundane things of ordinary life, your your trip to the grocery store, your stop at the gas station, you know, you're having to, to shop online or do whatever online things these days. All of these 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 experiences, every moment of our day, every moment of our life, this is what we desire. This is what we're called to give to our Lord. That He wants to receive it. And for my part, as as the the ministerial priest entrusted with the care of this community, um, my part is to take all of those things, as Father Sistrek said so beautifully, to take all of those things in your life and present them to the Lord. I don't know everything that's happened. Sometimes I get a little glimpse of things here and there, you know, social media is helpful to kind of see what's happening here, there, and everywhere. But I know in the quiet of my heart that that, that the Lord knows every need of your heart, and, and He knows everything that you have given to Him. And so for my part, my part as your priest is to take every gift that you've given to Jesus, good, bad, and otherwise, and to take it with me to the altar to unite it to the offering of Jesus on the cross to allow that offering of whatever it is that you gave to Jesus that Jesus might bring it to the Father that it might be transformed that it might be filled with grace that his, that his, his grace might pour out upon you um, in incredible abundance and so this is this is my part um, for you, and this is um, this is not something that I take lightly. Um, that I, I've uh, I think many times, you know, people have have noticed the the different parts of the the Eucharistic prayer. I usually use Eucharistic prayer one to the Roman Canon on Sundays. You know, it says, "Remember, Lord, your servants," and then there's a pause. You know, and I've mentioned to you before that sometimes the pause is longer because more things have been entrusted me to pray for, or more things have been taking place. You know, and the same for for those who have died. You know, that if it takes a little longer, there are more people who have passed from this life who have been entrusted to my care, and so I'm bringing them before the Lord. Um, and this is not just you know, in an abstract manner. That, that it's easy to say these things, and, and Father Sischek said this in so many words as well in his book. You know, it's, it's easy to say it in one way, but it's, it's different to be able to live it. 
and for me, this is the the, the constant um, the constant you know, invitation as a priest. The, the the purpose of a priest is to take the offerings of the people and unite them to the Lord. To take the lives of of the people of God and unite them to the life of Jesus Christ, specifically in the celebration of Holy Mass. This is the reason I exist, effectively, is to be able to, to in, in a specific way, be the bridge between humanity and divinity. To be able to bring you and present you in union with Jesus to the Father. And I have to say that's an overwhelming, uh, an overwhelming privilege and a mystery that I, that I still um, still contemplate frequently. How, 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 Lord? <laughs> you know, for me, it's not so much why. For me, it's, it's, it's how. You know, how do you accomplish these things, Lord? How, how do you allow this to happen? How, how is it that, that this is your will in this particular situation? How, Lord? Not just the, the mystery of it all. Also, this is this is what the Lord does: is he, is he takes he takes our offerings, he, he he receives them, he embraces them, and he makes them fruitful. He makes our sufferings, he makes our joys, he makes our everything fruitful, because he fills them with his life. He injects his life into it, and for good or for ill, you know, whatever experience we have, his life comes into it. And if we know our Lord is the our Lord is the vine, we are the branches. If we stay rooted to the vine, his life courses into us. The sap of Christ seeps into us. And we become incredibly fruitful. Now, I don't have a lot of kind of mystical experiences in, in prayer or in mass at all. Uh, I'm not one of these special souls or has just these profound, you know, profound experiences. But every now and then something will happen that kind of just makes me go, huh. And one of those happened the other day. It was actually the Feast of St. Joseph on the day when um, it was just a couple of days after after we were, um, you know, no longer permitted to celebrate Mass publicly. It was, you know, in, in a quiet church when we should have had a, a big celebration for St. Joseph. Um, and in the midst of the quiet mass, I offered, you know, offered mass as I do each day. And um, after I uttered the words of consecration of the host, when I said, this is my body, um, I, it, it, it didn't happen visibly. It didn't, I mean, there wasn't like a, you know, a whatever, but it felt as if like a burst of energy came from the host. You know, like those, you know, the, the thing you see of like the atomic bomb where, it, you know, a big mushroom cloud and then everything around it just is shaken. The sh- trees are shaken. The tree, you know, things kind of fall to the ground. It, it, it's like the Lord gave me that, that moment of recognizing in the celebration of Holy Mass that His grace is pouring out upon the world. That the, that the grace of the Mass is power. That it is power. Um, it was a great consolation for me because it, it was. It was in the midst of that that I was I was struggling to understand how 
how do I, Lord, how do I serve a people that I, that I can't have with me? Um, how do I minister to a people that, that can't be here for the mass? How do I minister in, in, in this, you know, incredibly limited situation? And for me, the, it seemed as if the Lord was saying, do what you're supposed to do, namely offer the mass and offer it well. And allow the fruits of the Mass to continue to pour out upon your people. And so this is what I continue to do. It's not a new thing. I mean, I've offered Mass um, just about every day that I've, uh, that I've been a priest. Uh, and so um, the Lord invited me and just simply called me back to that, to, re- to remember in the midst of, of, of all the, the chaos in my own world kind of being turned upside down, what do I need to do? Trust in the Lord and pray the Mass. Do what I'm supposed do what is set before me and pray. And to know that the grace that is offered there will continue to pour out to the people entrusted to my care as a pastor. I think that same thing is, is important for all of us, is is recognizing that that the Lord the Lord's inviting us in, in the midst of you know, in some ways, you know, a, a lot of things being flipped up, down, upside down, in some ways, very few things being flipped upside down. But to recognize, no matter what we are experiencing, to be able to embrace it as this is the Lord's will that He's allowing for me today. How do I respond? This is the Lord's will to embrace it, good, bad, and otherwise, and to seek to do what is right before him to seek to follow after him to seek to put into action what we can do to the best of our abilities knowing good and well that we're going to fall short sometimes but to to seek to do what the lord desires of us is first of all to recognize that god's grace is coming to you to remember that although you may not be physically at mass and you're experiencing certainly a separation, um, certainly many are experiencing a, a, a pain, a, a pain of loss of not being able to be so frequently at the sacraments, things that, that we had grown very much accustomed to being normal things in our entire life for, for decades upon decades. That just because you're not able to be present at the mass as you've always been does not mean that the grace of the mass is not giving itself to you then indeed for you to unite yourself to christ is to be sure that his grace is continuing to flow into your heart maybe even more now than ever because he knows you need it more now than ever and we're not the first ones to experience this reality we can look back at the lives of the church you know the the lives of the saints of the church and we can see countless people like father sischeck who were um, victims uh, of imprisonment or persons like in our own times who experienced the suffering of plague, um, people who were, who were exiled you know, to, um, to foreign lands without the necessary, uh, the necessary things for the living out and the practice of the sacraments, um, that these were, were men and women of faith who trusted that, that the Lord's will is permitting this to happen how can I continue to place my trust in him? They lifted up their heart daily in prayer. Father Siszczek recounted how every single day, even when he wasn't able to celebrate the Mass because he didn't have bread and wine, every morning he would wake up and he would say all the prayers of the Mass 
and to pray it as if he was able to celebrate it and to trust in that, to trust that the Lord was with him, to pray the rosary throughout the day, to pray various prayers, to sing, you know, to, to sing, to sing a hymn, to remember, you know, to remember a psalm, you know, to, and to pray a psalm. And to present these things to the Lord, to offer to offer the genuineness of one's of one's own heart to God, um, and to be able to present all of these things to our Lord, to pray, to trust, and then do what you can as you're able. And sometimes we don't know exactly what that means or how that shapes out. And, and we can have so many questions and we can still be filled with whys and hows and so many other things. But I've often taken uh, consolation. Uh, uh, again, very, very frequently, this is almost a daily prayer in the seminary for several years. Um, it's a, a, a prayer by uh, Thomas Merton, who's a, a Trappist monk, uh, a rather notable spiritual writer in the 20th century. Um, but it's a prayer to invite us to, to seek to follow after the Lord, even when we don't understand what's happening, which, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of feeling like that, you know, that in so many ways, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something, you know, uh, and to be able to, to seek to place our trust in him and to seek to follow after him even when we don't know exactly what's taking place. So Thomas Burton has a, a wonderful prayer that I invite you to join with me um, in offering here in the quiet of your heart. My Lord God, I have no idea why I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm doing your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything for, apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.